Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Nate Bagley. Nate is a relationship researcher on a mission to rid the world of mediocre love and help people create amazing relationships. He's the founder of the Love You Mentory podcast, as well as his blog for seven years. He's also the CEO and co-founder of Unbox Love. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Nate. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into researching love and relationships? Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a big believer that the most interesting people or the most extraordinary people have extraordinary problems, and I several I was probably like seven years ago had an extraordinary problem. I grew up always wanting to like I mean I think everybody wants to fall in love at some point in their life. Maybe not everybody, but probably anybody who's listening to this podcast can relate to this. And um, I knew that I wanted to grow up one day and fall in love. I wanted to get married. I wanted to be a husband and a father, have a little family. And my dating life, I was going on lots of dates, but um, my relationships were not ending well. Uh, And I was getting really frustrated. And there was also this added kind of frustration looking around at the couples in my life that I had exposure to. And there was always kind of this question in the back of my head where I was thinking like, is this it? Like, is that all that love is or marriage is? Like, isn't there something better? And every so often I would meet a couple and I would be like, wow, they got, they have something different. Like whatever it is that they have, I, I want that, but I don't know what they're doing differently that sets their relationship apart from everybody else. Um, so I was just, that that's kind of how I got my start is I was like, I want to have that kind of relationship. And so I decided I was going to go out and track down as many of those types of couples that I could find and interview them and try and figure out what the most extraordinary couples did that made their relationships thrive where other people's relationships barely survived or failed completely. So I ended up quitting my job about seven years ago. Um, I was living in Orlando, Florida at the time and I sold almost everything I owned that I couldn't fit into my Mini Cooper and spent quite a while driving all over the country and just interviewing these couples, trying to unlock these mysteries. And one thing led to another. I started interviewing experts and therapists and other researchers. And and as I started posting these interviews online, people started going, wow, like I've always wanted answers to these questions too. And then fast forward to today, here I am still chasing down answers to people's questions and to my own questions and trying to help people really have something extraordinary. Like I, I've never met somebody who gets married and on their wedding day, they're like, yeah, you know what? We really want to have a mediocre marriage. Like we, we really aspire to the status quo. And I really hope that one day I'm looking forward to that day where we can like walk on eggshells around each other and sit at the, go out on our, on our dates and sit across from each other and not talk because we've run out of things to say. Like no, nobody wants that, but so many couples fall into that. And my hope is to help kind of dig them out. I have a series of questions that came up as you were talking. The first one is more of an analytical question, but how did you pick the couples? Like, how, Because it looks, I, my experience has been that there's so many couples that I've met that things look awesome on the surface and then you dig deeper and you find that there's problems. So how did you pick the couples? 
Yeah. A lot of it was by, we'd, I'd show up in a city and just be like, Hey, talk to people and say, Hey, who's, who's the person whose relationship you admire the most. And there were absolutely some lemons. Like there were people who I interviewed and halfway through the interview, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if this qualifies. And that was, that was really difficult, but I actually quickly learned along my journey that, uh, one, I, I couldn't be the sole arbiter of what qualified as awesome. Like if somebody's willing to sit down and talk to me and share the most intimate details of their most private relationship on a podcast, they probably have something worth sharing. And even though I didn't necessarily aspire to be like every single couple who was on, who's been on the show, um, I think I've been able to learn something. And it's also taught me that every couple is unique and every couple's definition of extraordinary love is a little different and that's okay. So there, there are as many recipes to awesome love as there are couples who have it. What, what are some of the ones that stand out to you? Oh man, my, probably the couple that's, there's a handful of couples that have really, really stuck with me throughout the years. One is, uh, my friends, Ty and Terry, and they live in Omaha, lived in Omaha, Nebraska. And, um, I just remember like we showed up at their house and it was like nine at night and I'm thinking we're going to be out of there by 10 and we didn't end up leaving till like one or two in the morning. And they, uh, the level, level of commitment that they had to confronting the scary things throughout their relationship and, um, committing to growing personally and as a couple was just really, really incredible. I remember, um, Terry specifically, said this quote and I might butcher it, but she basically said something along, along the lines of at the end of Ty's life, her, her husband's life, she's like, I want him to be able to think that Terry was the greatest earthly blessing that I've ever had. And that I'm a better man because of how she loved me. And like, that's how he, she wanted him to think of her on his deathbed. And I'm sitting there thinking like, how, how would the world be if we all loved our partner with that focus in mind that like if they were to die today, their last dying thought would be, man, I'm so glad that I married my partner because they made me a better person and strengthened me and helped me to become my best self. That's bringing up all kinds of shit for me. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Oh God. Tell I, me about that. Uh, well, I mean, I think a few things. One, I, I went for a run right before I got on the podcast. We talked about it before I jumped on the podcast and I was thinking I'd gone through a breakup recently and, uh, and I was thinking like, what did I want from her that I didn't get? And, um, or what would I want from her that if, if I interacted with her again and I realized it was, um, to show me the things that she didn't want me to see. And, um, it's a scary shit. Right. And like, there was definitely been times in lots of relationships or even that relationship where I just, I was closed off and, um, and I had to learn, it was a consequence of that relationship. I really learned, I, I allowed myself to open up. I realized that there was a period of my life in my early 20s where I was open, like incredibly emotionally open. And I uh, had a situation with a girl and it didn't work out and I was in love and it didn't work out. And I started shutting down and I started shutting down in ways that um, I didn't realize at the time. But like the message from that relationship was that one, I, like I, I shouldn't be so open. And two, as I, I started to date uh, again, 
um, and women started to be more receptive to a more closed down version of me was that women were more receptive to me when I was um, sort of suppressing things and when I was shut, when I was shut down. And there's a long period of my life where I, I mean, there were periods where I, I, I began to open up and periods where I started to shut down. And I don't know if I've ever been as open as I feel like I am now. I might have a different interpretation of that like a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now um, as I was when I was just like a, a young, naive kid who'd grown up in a, in a relatively safe, emotion, emotionally safe family. And um, a lot of that got shattered when I got kicked out at 18 and, and, start, and started dealing with abandonment and, and other issues. But as you said that, I was like, God, I connect with that because like, I, I realized like literally it's something I've been thinking about, something crystallized on, on this run right before the podcast. That was something that I really wanted in, in my relationships. And, uh, as I, I'm very good at teaching guys how to meet girls, <laughs> arguably, <laughs> some people argue I'm the best person in the world at it. I'm definitely in the upper echelons, but it's like, it's a journey for all of us. And for me, um, as I also told you before the podcast, like, uh, love and relationship and fatherhood and these next stages of my life is like, is where I'm now focused. And that's why a lot of this podcast stuff has shifted more towards sort of men's wellness. But I love that, man. Yeah. So I, I was at a, I was at a, a talk two weeks ago. Are you, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson at all? I absolutely am. Awesome. Well, he came to Salt Lake and spoke and my wife and I went and he said something that we talked about for like an hour afterwards. And it totally, it just, I wanted to share it with you because I feel like it fits in perfectly here. He, he basically talked about how every human has, um, because we're aware, we're self-aware, we, meaning we're aware of our vulnerabilities, we're aware of how we can be hurt, that makes us also aware of how we can hurt others. And um, at some point in life, everybody goes through a betrayal or they go through a really rough breakup, they lose somebody that they love. And as a therapist, he's, he talked about how people would come to him and say, I don't know how I can ever trust again. I don't know how I could ever open up to somebody again. I opened up to this person and they took advantage of it or I got hurt because I opened up to them and I just don't know how I could ever trust somebody again. And he said, um, you don't trust somebody because they're worthy of your, because they are incapable of hurting you, I guess is the right way to say this, because everybody is capable of hurting you because they're human. They know how to do it, but it's, it's less about you don't trust somebody because they're capable of hurting you. You trust somebody because you are courageous and because you've developed this bravery to hand them the rope to the guillotine and put your head on the guillotine and trust them not to let go. Yes. Um, and it's a scary, scary thing to do. But like, if you really want to have an amazing relationship, you've got to hand over that rope and you've got to, you've got to be courageous and trust somebody. Otherwise there's always going to be that, that gap between who you are and who they, th who they think you are. And that's like, that's kind of miser a miserable way to live your life. Yeah. I, I hear you. I mean, I was listening to, I mean, I was thinking about that song brave by Sour Bareilles. Um, I love that song. Yeah. Like it's sort of encapsulated. Like if I was trying to crystallize a thought, like in a song, that's the song that would come up. And, and I, I agree. And I, I definitely, I had this conversation last night with a buddy of mine in a men's group and he was saying he really connected with it as well. And, and, uh, it was, the ideas were less crystallized than they were this morning or probably <laughs> than they will be at the end of this conversation with you. But he was talking about going through a really similar process 
and having making a conscious choice after a breakup in college to shut down and and he'd shut down for a long time and just how he didn't realize that he was what just wasn't fully present in over his relationships over the years and like I've definitely been there and uh it takes bravery and it's easy to to look at our partners and say they need to be brave but for us <laughs> to fucking be brave it's hard man it's <laughs> it is, super hard it's, it's it, it, for sure um I talk about all kinds of crazy shit on this podcast that like I wouldn't have done four years ago when we did it but I just realized like if I don't fucking go there like I, I'm not going to be serving the people who are listening so it's uh yeah yeah I, I love your thoughts man so I, I had the first question was about how you pick the couples the second question that came up was around like what were the qualities that you saw in the couples that made their relationships stand out yeah uh this is a great question because it's not what you think like the the immediate thought that almost everybody has is oh communication they have really good communication that's what makes them stand out and like yeah they have good communication but um i think that the the underlying traits that all of these couples had is first and foremost they shared a dedication to personal growth they were married less because they wanted like the, the goal of their marriage wasn't necessarily happiness their goal of the goal of their marriage was something bigger than just the two of them and they saw how their marriage could impact their family their community um, the areas where they lived, the the church that they went to, if they did that, um, basically they, they saw their marriage as an opportunity to lift and inspire the people around them and to elevate each other to, to a new level as well. And, um, so that, that I think is one, one trait where it's like, okay, if we're sucking at this right now, here's what we need to do to get better. And they were constantly iterating and trying and trying to improve as a couple, and then um, the second thing is that I just re it really recently just dawned on me that this is like a trait that I I saw but couldn't necessarily put words to, and and this is an important one, but they favored or prioritized action over gathering insights, and I think there's a lot of people out there right now who are listening to this podcast. And maybe they're reading books and blog posts and they've got a whole, you know, lineup of podcasts on their feed and they're constantly learning new information. But getting results in your marriage and getting results in your life requires you to actually take action on the things that you learn. And if you think about the last book you read, and I ask this people this question a lot, so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, but like the last the last self-help or business book or personal growth book that you read, how much of that do you think you actually applied? of what you learned. Mm. I, I don't know if I can give a number. I, I mean, I, I've been like on the last maybe four months on a massive sort of transformational, <laughs> a, a transfer, going through a massive, massive transformational period of my life. Um, so I, I don't know if I could give a percentage of like, I'm trying to think what the, I'm reading like fucking five <laughs> books at a time. There's like, I, I bought, like I, yeah. I, I bought 40, like almost 40 books in like the last three months. Oh my gosh. And um, the last book I finished was Belong by the girl who started Daybreaker. And like, have I started uh, an international um, events where like I, uh, where I gathered people together? Like, I no, like I have not implemented that. But if, <laughs> if uh, but the ideas in the book around, for example, um, positive emotions are 
are released in the body has changed the way that I think about how I approach life, right? Like endorphins are released through exercise and dopamine's released as like we accomplish things, I guess. Um, I might be articulating that wrong. How serotonin's released, how, um, oxytocin's released, like part of it's through touch. Uh, on the podcast, I've been talking to when we have psychiatrists and researchers around this topic, I'm sort of exploring it more. That's like a kind of an analytical example, but a more practical example is she talked about how she had gone out to the bar one night and realized that everybody was unconscious and she, people were making out, they're drunk. And some of the guys are listening to this are like, that's exactly what I want. And if you're at that phase, I understand I was there for a long time. I help guys get into it if you're not there. Uh, but she wanted clear intent um, with, with the community that she was building. And so like I very consciously um, began doing that. So I can't give you a percentage, but I will definitely tell you that the ideas that are coming in are definitely flowing out into my life in different Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, you are rare then because most people I talk to, it's they say like oh, one, maybe two things from a book they actually take and put into action. And I just I think that that's something that separates extraordinary couples from an average couple or is that they have a high a high percentage of action over gathering insights. You've used two. I want to hear some more of them, but I want to know what this looks like specific specifically because for me like in the example i used with the book i didn't mean to ramble on and i don't no no i'm you're not good. trying to look like an all-star at all because there's lots of parts of my life I, i'm still figuring out i'm definitely on the journey like uh, everybody else here the journey of life and um but like for me it like started ma- begins to manifest as sort of like a thought i think about it and then it brings up an emotion and try to c- connect that emotion a little bit like how, how do i feel about it there's like this sort of mixing around and then start to th- talk to people about it and like i don't know it just sort of slowly manifests almost like a snowball rolling down a hill that gets bigger and and not every idea is going to continue to roll and some are going to die off and I, i'm curious when you talk to couples because like for me that incubation stage um getting to the point where you're implementing it with a, a partner is already pretty far along in the process how do partners get on the same page and how do they uh, bring this up with a partner? And like, I'm just curious how they implement this. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think it's something that's probably important to talk about really early on in your relationship is, you know, what, what are your relationship goals? Um, what, what do you want a relationship to look like in your life? You know? And I don't think we really have that conversation very often, but my, my wife and I are constantly iterating uh, we have like a weekly meeting we or we just talk on a regular basis, but we do have every Sunday we try and have a conversation about what went well this last week and what we want more of and what we want less of and how can we each be better partners to each other in the week to come. And every day my wife and I send a text to each other that says, um, what's one thing to, that I can do today to make you feel loved? And like it's just these intentional things where you start you start putting them into practice and it just opens up a whole like it opens up a whole new world of potential i think when you're clear what your partner's dream is and what they need and what they want and they're making it really easy for you to fulfill on that on that dream oh it's beautiful thanks yeah i i mean one of the hard things that i found is trying to not only getting doing the work to get myself to open up but also getting my partner um, or past partners to open up. And sometimes it's, it's because they're probably marrying me or marrying like past versions of me or other times like it's their own traumas that they're suppressing and 
compartmentalizing and they get activated or triggered and they withdrew. And what you're describing is just like, hey, like we set up this like ritual <laughs> in order yeah. in order to try to reach across the table and touch each other's emotions and figure out what the other person needs. And so much of the act of love is reaching out and asking and they're willing to respond and then you're willing to respond to them. I just think it's beautiful. It's that's you summed it up so perfectly. I remember are you familiar with John Gottman and his work? No. So John John Gottman, um, he and his wife Julie, Julie Gottman is a psychotherapist and John is like a mathematician and a therapist and he's done over 40 years of of relationship research, marriage research. He uh, had what's called the Love Lab in Seattle back in the, that he started back in the 70s. And he'd have couples come in and live in an apartment and they'd be hooked up to all sorts of like monitors and diodes and stuff like that. And they'd measure their their heart rate and their adrenaline and um, take blood samples and stuff. And they would have them like they'd have them rep replicate arguments and and they'd code their facial expressions. And basically they were trying to figure out like what are the predictors of whether or not a, a a couple will stay together or get divorced. And, um, it's fascinating stuff. They John wrote a book called seven principles for making marriage work. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's really, really interesting. But I, I heard him speak a little while back. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me is that if he could summarize 40 years of research down into one sentence, it would be baby, when you're hurting, the world stops and I'm there for you. And, and, like that's exactly what you explained. It's love is knowing your partner well enough to see when they're in pain and doing what you can to help, you know, to whether that's just being next to them and saying, Hey, I'm not leaving or whether it's like, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to beat that dude up that insult. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a thousand different ways to like stand up for your partner and stand up for your relationship. But like, ultimately that's what it all boils down to is, you know, I'm, I'm here with you especially when you're in pain. So I absolutely hear that you, okay. So you said self-development and then you said prioritizing actions over insights and results. What were some of the other things that um, you found that these great partners had? Uh, I think a, a huge one is just a, a level of kindness. Um, I remember, so some of our, I interviewed a couple, their names are David and Gretchen. And when I interviewed them, They've, they've since interviewing them, they've become some of our best friends. My wife, my wife and I, we see them on a regular basis and they're insanely awesome. But when I first met them, I was really skeptical that their relationship was as good as it was. And let me kind of break down what that looked like. So they invited me over to interview them at their home and I showed up and they're like, okay, here's the deal. Before we do the interview, we have to feed you dinner. And so, um, that's just the rule. You can't, you can't argue with us. We have to get to know you before we do this interview. And I'm like, okay, but dinner wasn't ready. And so David and Gretchen, I hung out with them in the kitchen and they're talking with each other and, and they were just so polite. It was almost unnerving. Like David looks at Gretchen and goes, Hey Gretchen, honey, uh, I, I'm would love to set the table for you. What can I do? Like, can I, can I grab the plates? And she's like, yeah, I think it's time for the plates. And he's like, great. I can't find the napkins. Where are they? And she's like, Oh, thanks for asking, honey. They're in the bottom drawer in the very back. And he's like, Oh, you're so sweet. Thanks. Oh, I found them. You're, you're the best. And I love you. And just like super over the top. And I'm sitting there going, this is bullshit. Be, yeah, this is <laughs> such bullshit. I was like, this is ridiculous. There's no way. And so we sat down for dinner and I'm like, guys, I, 
I really got to be honest with you. Are you is this, are you guys being for real or are you kind of putting a show on for me because you know I'm going to be interviewing you about your relationship? Like I don't want to be offensive, but and they're like, no, Nate, this is how we act. And I'm like, what? And they said, look, early on in our marriage, we noticed that 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 a lot of couples treat like the the teller at the grocery or the teller at the bank or the the person at the grocery store, their checkout person at the grocery store, with more politeness and kindness than they treat the person who's supposed to be the most important to them in their entire life. And I'm like, Oh, and they said, we made the goal that we would always be able to tell who was the most important to the other person through our actions and our words. And so we always, always use our pleases and thank yous. We have like coded language that we use to appreciate each other. We have like these little inside jokes and we're constantly trying to be polite and kind to each other. And, um, we treat each other with more respect than we would treat anybody else on the face of the planet so that our partner always knows they're the most important thing to us in the world. And I was like humiliated. I'd already done like a hundred interviews at this point and talked to all sorts of couples and nobody had ever said something like that to me. And the fact that I walked into their home and questioned their integrity just because they were being kind to each other, I was like totally eating my humble pie. (laughs) And I'm like, why can't we all do that? And so like it, it struck me really hard and I'm like, I need to be kinder. I take my relationships for granted. Like I take my, there's times where I take my wife for granted and I'm like, ah, eh, she's going to be around. I can be kind of a dick to her and she'll still be here. You know, I can be impatient with her and show her the ugly sides of me and she'll hang around and like, it takes a little bit of courage and it takes some determination to be kind. Even when you're feeling angry or hungry for me, like hungry always brings out my grumpy side and my, short temper. Um, but man, like talking to them, I was like, Oh yeah, I, I totally see how being kind all the time is really, really important. That brings up something for me. I I think it's beautiful, but, um, I had this conversation with this guy, Dan Griffin, who, um, wrote a couple books on relationships. He's a therapist from my memory. And he talked about what he called the man and woman rules. And, some of the man rules were like men don't cry. They don't show emotion. They don't ask for help. Uh, they try to have sex with as many women as they possibly can. They have to like, they're just like rules that we absorb from our society around masculinity. Yeah, totally. Just so the importance of shedding some of these things so that we can be real and have real relationships. And for women, he asked me, what are the two that come up? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's just like a guess or whatever. And I was like, they always have to be beautiful. And he's like, yeah, that's the number one. And he goes, what do you think the second one was? I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to guess this right. And I said that they need to be pleasing. He's like, right, that's right. They need to sort of serve serve the people around them and they need to be pleasing to the people around them. And so the question that would come up for me with that couple is that's awesome that that's what they were doing. And I think what was triggered was like, is this real? The question is, how do they deal with the difficult stuff that comes up? Because going back to what we were talking about earlier, I want to see the stuff that they don't want to show me. I want to see the sadness and fear and and the anger when it's there and um, not in a hurtful way. Like, And I think I love what you're saying about sort of being respectful, but I've seen so many times in my life where people are polite and they use that as a form of suppression for this. Yeah, like a ma- they wear the mask. Yeah. So how how that's the question. I don't know if you got to ask them, but the question I would want to ask is Oh, I've experienced it. Yeah. How do you I've... how do you deal with the fucking tough shit when it comes up? Yeah, and they do. Like they still 
so you can deal with the tough stuff in your life, the really, really difficult things, and you can be emotional and still be kind. Okay. Like, that's do you know what I mean? That's different than polite. Yes. Yes. And so they are polite to each other. And that's a big part of their being kind, especially in their day to day life. But like, I've seen them argue, I've seen them have disagreements, I've seen them, but they never go at each other's throats. You know what I mean? They never go after the things that, uh, like our biggest vulnerabilities. Exactly. Yeah, remember, they re- they yeah. respect the the underbelly and, you know, they don't ever go for the jugular. And if like if one of them gets upset or frustrated or worked up, the other one gets curious instead of getting defensive. I think of two things come up in my mind. One was something that happened to me. And something, one was something I did. And uh, and the one I did was really embarrassing. The one that happened to me was really painful. And both were related to family. I remember after my dad died, I was at the funeral and one of his coworkers was like, I sat there with your dad, why he cried, because you told me he wasn't a good dad. And, and, I, and I said that to him when I was like, I don't know, 16 or 17, teenager trying to break away. I didn't feel like I was being seen. And I didn't know it till after the funeral. And fuck, that, that shit still affects me. It's a, it's yeah. a shitty thing to ca- carry around to know because that was probably my dad's biggest, one of his biggest vulnerabilities, that he wasn't a good father. And he's a fucking awesome dad. And uh, so that's one thing. And the second thing later on, and payback's a bitch. <laughs> I, I, there was a family mem- a member that I was mentoring for, for a long time and he was living with me and I was helping to put, th- put him through college and uh, to, a, to the extent that I could. And at some point he told me, it's like the family really hated me. So they all secretly hated me. And that was like one of my biggest fears. And, and, um, that shit fucking stung. And, and, and those, I bring up those two experiences because it's one where something happened to me where somebody exploited one of my biggest vulnerabilities and yeah. another time where I exploited someone else's. And I've tried to learn over the course of my life not to do that ever fucking again. And, um, but it's, yeah, these things are there. And when we're open and intimate with somebody, they can feel them. And when we're scared or we feel like we're on a corner, there's an instinct in, in some of us or, some of us at times or some people a lot of the time to go after that thing. Right? Yeah. And uh, it sounds like what you're saying is they're kind in the sense that they're polite to each other. They just, they treat each other well, but they're kind. What I'm hearing is that they're kind in the sense that like they don't go there. Yeah. To, so let me see if I can rephrase it in a way that kind of piggybacks off of exactly what you're saying. So I feel like that that desire to really go after somebody when when you're hurting and go for their biggest weakness, that's part of the fight or flight mechanism in us. That's you either fight for your life and take out the competition or you run like as fast as you can away from the threat. And in order to have a really great relationship, you have to you have to learn to fight against your your instincts that are ingrained into your DNA. So there's, there's a, there's a part of you that has to be able to feel the instinct to lash out and to hurt your partner or say something that you know will hurt them or do something that you know will, will do damage and, and make them retreat away. And you have to feel that. And then you have to check yourself in an instant and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like I, I'm going to fight against this instinct to either run away, shut down or, um, attack back and I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to get curious and I'm going to ask questions. And I, it, the, the reason that my partner's lashing out at me right now or, do, or saying these words is because they're hurting. And how can I get to the, the bottom of the hurt instead of joining them in, in it and 
turning this into a giant fight that we may not recover from. Yeah, so that, that, that's awesome. Uh, a couple of things. Fight, fighting against those instincts is hard, man. Yeah, a, a couple of things come come up. One is um, one of the things that I've heard, and I feel like as as a like as an adult, like I, I've been pretty good about not doing these these things, especially in my relationships, um, like my most intimate relationships. Like I learned from those experiences, but there's just always more things to learn. But I I share those experiences because they really, I mean, that, th- those are the things that come up, and there's like deep deep emotion there and um hopefully it resonates with the people who are listening to this and and you're able to connect with it as well and um i it allows us to keep the conversation going but the the thing that i heard is like don't do the things that can't be undone and that's something that somebody had said to me or something to that effect the other thing that uh, came up is one of the things that i've realized is I've, i've done a lot of this like a lot of personal growth and um, our personal development and, and had a lot of personal growth and really shifted my life into sort of this exploration of wellness is I've released a lot of traumas. And as I've released a lot of these traumas, it's one, I could talk about the process of releasing them, but like more importantly is like for our conversation is where it's led me. And that's this point where I feel like I can be incredibly present most of the time. And I want to be there all the time, but life is fucking tough. <laughs> but I try to be incredibly present most of the time. And what that means to me is that when I show up, whether it's as a man or um, as a partner or as a friend or as a mentor or as a leader, I show up on this podcast that I am like I, I'm really uninhibited. I'm I'm putting myself out there. I'm just like I'm not. I'm saying the things that I don't want people to fucking know. <laughs> I, I'm just like uh, I'm just like speaking. Like I'm letting things flow out of me like letting those um, thoughts and emotions flow out of me. And and what happens is when I do that is it activates and it triggers the people around me and um, it brings up emotions in them. And that can be scary because when I'm doing the second thing, which is being really vulnerable, letting the effects of my presence affect me. So like I do something, I say something, I do something that affects the person across me. I let myself feel that. I become aware of it. Like I start feeling all these emotions and my instinct is not to become more present usually. <laughs> it's to compartmentalize, to withdraw, to suppress, right? And it's a really fucking scary thing to walk the line between being present and being f- vulnerable. So being uh, being there and being in the fucking moment and allowing myself to trigger and activate the people around me by just being me, um, being like, the, just being me, just being and letting that affect me and taking that emotion in and letting it flow through my body. And uh, it, it's a fucking scary thing to do, but it's like where I realized I wanted to live my life and where I want to live my relationships. I don't know if that resonates at all. Yeah, that is a hard thing to do. It is a really, really hard thing to do, but it's an admirable thing to be working towards. It's uh, I feel like that's a level of self-awareness and consciousness that some people don't even consider in their lifetime, let alone achieve. So uh, that's awesome. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, 
watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I want to go back to sort of these questions. So um, like what are some other things that you've observed that couples do, great couples do really well? Uh, One of the things that great couples do really well, I think something that they do that's really important is they focus on the little things, not the big things. You mentioned earlier that um, you like the rituals that my wife and I have. And I think a great relationship is built on rituals, uh, taking opportunities to connect on a regular basis. So like one of the things my wife and I have done is we've broken down the routine of our day and we have an intentional way to connect at various different points throughout the day. So like when I wake up, I wake up at like four forty in the morning, five o'clock in the morning so I can go hit the gym and my wife is typically asleep. So I get ready to go to the gym and I never leave the house without kissing her and saying goodbye. And um, we have these connection points throughout the day. So like when I leave for the gym, when she leaves for work, I work from home, so I don't leave very often. When when uh, we're reunited after a day of work and then as we go to bed, there's like four connection points and we have routines for every single one of those moments. My favorite is when um, like in the evening when, when either my wife comes home from work or I get done with my meetings, we always have like this little celebration when somebody comes home from a long day and you kind of be the golden retriever for your partner and greet them with a bit passionate. Like I like to, I try and make it a point to pin my wife against the wall and give her like a passionate six seconds or longer kiss every single day. Nice. And that's like, that's what she comes home to is like this husband who's like, Oh man, I've missed you. I'm so glad to see you. Boom, hit the wall and let's make out. And little things like that. It's like, I don't necessarily always feel like, yes, I'm excited to make out with my wife. I might've just finished a stressful phone call or it might've been a rough day at work, but I can shift my mindset when I hear that garage door shutting and go, okay, it's time for me to put on this. It's time for me to perform the ritual and and make my wife feel amazing. And that's more important to me than doing what's easy. So building those little routines into your daily schedule, I think is a huge thing. Um, Dr. Gottman, John Gottman again says, it's the small things done often that make the difference. It's all the little, it's turning towards your partner when and putting down your phone when they try and talk to you. It's holding their hand when you're walking through the parking lot. It's opening up their door for them. It's giving them a kiss on the cheek. It's cuddling up with them at night as you go to bed and telling them things that you're grateful for. Um, it's all these little things that add up over time. Uh, they, the, the science shows that the happiest couples have a 20 to 1 ratio of positive to negative interactions in a given day. And then in, during times of conflict, they have a 5 to 1 ratio of positive to negative interactions. And um, if you're not like constantly and intentionally building in those positive interactions into your day, your ratio goes down and down and down until you're at the point where you're like 1 to 1 or even less than 1 to 1. And those couples are all, all but guaranteed to end in – being miserable so 
Yeah, I just it, it makes me think about just the importance of emotional, mental wellness. Yeah, right. Because if you're not in a place where you can do these things, like you're going to build negative experiences. They end up as like micro traumas. Your partner tries to reach out to you, you're closed off. They reach out, you're closed off. You reach out, closed off. And after a while, they just start to feel negative emotions. And it can go, it can go a lot deeper. It can be, as you use the example of the plight couple, it could be like a comment or a sneer or um, shutting somebody down, right? Because you, your Definitely. ego feels like you need to do, I mean, it can manifest in lots of different ways, but I think that's a great, great point. Um, do you guys eat together like on a regular basis? Yeah, we cook and eat together. Do you do it every night or do you do it like certain nights a week? How does that? I, I, we make it a point to eat together every single night. Yeah. I, I realized that like growing up, I grew up in a pretty solid family um, for most of my, most of my life. And we ate every day together. And I, when I look back at my relationships and I look at sort of life, I realized going forward, that's one of the things that's important to me was that ritual. Cause just sitting around the table, it doesn't mean that we all want to sit there. Sometimes we want to watch TV and do other shit, but like that ritual of just sitting down, cooking food together, sitting down and eating and having everybody around the table, I, I think was a really important foundation um, yeah. for our family. And you get older and that shit starts to fall apart. <laughs> but yeah, um, or or even in your twenties and thirties, it's hard because like I we had so we have an Airbnb here. We have a couple rooms that we rent out at our home, and um, we had somebody mentioned this week, just two days ago. She's like, "You guys cook a lot." Like it's just I I just notice a lot of people. It's really easy to go out to eat. It's really easy to be in a hurry. It's really easy to just grab something, but like we we make almost every single meal. And we, I don't know, it's, there's something about that together time, sitting down, like making a meal and then sitting down and eating it. That's, it's, uh, I think it's important. It's a missed opportunity if you're not doing it. Yeah. I think that's a very important point. I, it brings up something else I want to ask you about and that's intimacy and space. So I do Airbnb as well. And, uh, I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast because I'm gonna have people trying to fucking stay with me. <laughs> um, flying, they're trying to get me to fly out around the world. Now people are going to try to stay with me. Um, but I'm pro- probably towards the end of it. I started doing it like on the side. Well, at this place, I got had a bunch of extra rooms and, and, uh, I did it so I could work from home and it just made sense at the time. But then at some point I realized, Hey, I'm not using the space. And so I started doing Airbnb on the side, but it changes the way that intimacy sort of can be conducted. And I'll I'll try to give another example that might exemplify this. Growing up, I lived in a house where uh, it was like a decent sized house. Remember, we had a family room with three different couches. And when I was in high school, my friends would show up even if I wasn't there and they could just walk in. If they were tired, they would go to sleep on the couch. And when they'd wake up, they'd be like, what's for dinner? (laughs) And so they'd sit down with us at the table and they would just eat. And that was this, that that created like this level of sort of closeness and intimacy where people could walk into the space and just hang out and feel loved and trusted and fed. And just like hanging out around this space that was really designed. I mean, say like my mom had all these like signs that like, where she would like paint things like homes or love or I don't I don't remember what they all said but but she tried to nurture a home and she had four kids and uh, your mom sounds awesome she is awesome our relationship got more complicated when I got older but she she was a I mean she was a great at nurturing family and togetherness and but I think about like that dynamic of space and especially since I live in New York City where space is so scarce 
And so I'm curious how, if you feel like having other people in that who are who are transient coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out, has affected your relationship, or it's enhanced your relationship, or it's something that you just sort of dealt with, or if this is something that you've even considered, or if it's something that, uh, like the idea of space and intimacy, is something you observed in couples. Do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, now that you bring it up, I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've really enjoyed it. Um, part of part of what we're committed to as a couple is improving the lives of anybody we come in contact with. We want to help people level up and in in any way that we can. And having people come into our space, like most Airbnb guests, are really respectful and. Um, like, yeah, they're in our space, but we also have our private space. We have our bedroom and, you know, we have, uh, I mean, that's our, that's like our, in our house, our only the space nobody else goes into. Um, so there's always a, a place to escape if we need like that introvert time to recharge batteries and read a book or be alone. Uh, but having people, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something really special about being surrounded by people. I think we're, despite being so connected through like social media and through our cell phones, um, the, the amount of loneliness that people are experiencing on a regular basis is pervasive and it's, it's killing people. Um, I think it's, there've been studies that have shown that it's worse than worse for you than like heart disease and, or smoking. Um, I just read a, a book called, uh, hold me tight by Sue Johnson. Uh, super interesting book, but she talks about how, when back back after I think it was World War II, they had you know all these parents who had died, and they had all these orphans that needed to be taken care of, and and they would put these orphans in a building, and they would make sure that they had food, and they would make sure they had shelter and clothing, and that they were taken care of, but the babies were still dying, and they're like, why are these babies dying? They have all of their needs met, and they realized that they were were not getting any affection. They weren't getting any human interaction. They didn't have like a meaningful relationship with another human being and they were dying of loneliness. And the they've continued to do research and actually found that that it's not just babies that suffer from suffer like that, it's adults as well. And so when you're in a relationship and you're lonely inside of your relationship or or if you're not in a relationship and you just don't have a whole lot of human interaction, like it can have serious mental and psychological and physical side effects. And so for me, this has been like a trial run of having kids. We don't have kids yet. Um, and so having Airbnb guests in our home, it's like you get these random people and we're learning about boundaries and we're learning about like connecting with people in a short amount of time. And we're learning about being generous and sharing our space. And for me, it's been a really great adventure personally for if I had to speak for myself. How long, how long have you been doing it? Couple months. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, the, not a super long time. The, the other thing that changed for me was I rented out one room and I, like, there was more sort of intimacy. And then I started renting out two rooms. And as time went on and more people had gone through, I, I stopped connecting with people the way that I did when they first came in. And because I, like, I just found it overwhelming in the sense that, like, how many people can you deeply connect with? So yeah, I would have this yeah. like deep, these deep conversations. Like burnout. Yeah, well, not not really burnout, but like this has happened to me. I remember um, when I, I used to run political campaigns and have to go into a, an area and like organize it. Or when I was in later on, I was in student government, or I just like 
I just threw a lot of parties. <laughs> I remember actually when I was in student government, this guy from my um, town was like, Hey dude, my mom takes co- classes at your college. And I saw your picture and I told her your student body president throws the best parties. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but I used to throw these wild, crazy parties. But when I had like hundreds or even thousands of people flowing through my life, like in a physical sense, like I just started to become overwhelmed and shut down and it started to like induce anxiety. And so I I think I read somewhere that the optimal, like, I don't know about optimal, but the average human being can only remember like 100, 150 names. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I think about if I wrote down people and brands and all all these things like that I'm able to name, I don't know what that number would be, but there is this point where so many people flowed through my life in a short period of time that yeah, I started to lose the ability to connect. So I've tried to make this. Sh- so that's what happened with Air- Airbnb is that like as time went on and more people came through, yeah, I, I started to shut down a little bit because I, I couldn't, I built this really deep intimate connection with somebody who lives on the other side of the world and I couldn't really keep in touch with them. And what I needed was like a small group of people around me, a little closer to home that I could grab dinner with or go sit in the park with or make food with or give me a hug when I needed it. Um, yeah, so that's why I was asking about like how long you've been doing it. But yeah, I, not not long enough to have hit that yet. We've had a couple of repeat visitors and a couple of people who booked long term. So, but I'll be interested to see if I hit that kind of that level of ex- exhaustion. And if you almost, don't, it sounds like yeah. If you don't, I want to hear about that as well because that would be fascinating. Um, do you have any other rituals or that you guys do on a regular basis? Like with my wife? Yeah, or you've seen? Yeah. Um, Let's see. I know like there's one couple that I talked to that they only would have, they would save up all of their, like their disagreements or their complaints that they wanted to talk about until after they had eaten dinner together. And then they would turn on slow music and dance in the kitchen together, like slow dance. And that's where they would have their (laughs) complaint session. And they're like, it's really, really hard to complain about somebody when you are like holding them close and dancing together. Um, Another couple only argues naked. Like whenever they have a big argument, they go up in their bedroom and they take off their clothes and then they have the argument and typically <laughs> it just ends up in sex, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I, I've heard a really great um, rule, the, the two by two by two rule. That's a ritual for a lot of couples where every two weeks they go on a date and then every two months they go on like an overnighter to get away. Um, just they go have a hotel stay over one night or two nights and then every two years they go on like a big week-long vacation together to like renew themselves it's just kind of like a a maintenance ritual that they use um i really love having like a weekly marriage inventory and just like having a standing time where every week we get together and we talk about we talk about finances really quick and we talked about basically the state of affairs in our relationship, how, what things are going well and what things are not. If there's anything that happened in the last week that we like really need to address or talk about, I think that's a a great ritual to have that. I think I already mentioned, um, uh, we have a ritual where I always open my wife's car door for her and she always kisses me before she gets in. It's like a small ritual, but it's something that like I stopped doing it for a while and she's, one day during one of our little inventories, she's like, can I ask for something? I'm like, of course. And she goes, I really loved it when you used to open my door for me and, and ki- we would have a kiss before I got in. Can we do that again? And I was like, yeah. So we just started doing that again. Um, 
but it's it's the little things man it's it's just finding little opportunities to connect in our own special way we watch survivor together that's like a one of our rituals is every i think it's wednesday nights we carve out time to sit down and watch a goofy reality show and make predictions and speculate and gossip about all the people who are playing and i don't know it's just you kind of develop them on your own but any opportunity that you can that you can get to start a ritual inside your relationship i would say take advantage of it nice i like you talking about this stuff because i feel like if somebody's coming from a place where they haven't seen this and they don't have the vocabulary for it. Like totally. You're starting to give them a vocabulary and you've seen so much that you're able to, to articulate some of these things. So it's cool. A really great one is to wash the dishes together because nobody likes doing the dishes. So turn on some fun music and if you just tackle it together, it takes half the time and then neither of you has to complain about being the one who has to do the dishes. I like that. I, I actually like doing chores together. I, yeah, it might not be the most <laughs> most intimate thing, uh, dude. But it can be. I, I, yeah. I, talk about it. Expand on that. Just how it it's, it doesn't take a whole lot of creativity to make something that's really boring and and stressful or non desirable and turn it into something fun and exciting. Like maybe you listen to a, a podcast together while you do it, and then you talk about it. You pause it, and oh my gosh, did you hear that? Like, let's have a conversation. You know, maybe you uh, maybe you listen to like you have a favorite cleaning the house playlist, and you just pump up the music and you dance around and your underwear while you sweep the floors and and like and dust the shelves. Uh, maybe you have like uh, like I have <laughs> this one's kind of. Go there. I, was, <laughs> I have some friends who every time he catches her like bending over or sneaks up behind her, he'll like hump her from behind. <laughs> yeah. And it's like this goofy little thing that they do. And we were hanging out with him the other night and she, she told me about this. She's like, every time he walks behind me, he just grabs me by the hips and just humps me. <laughs> and it's hilarious, but it's like, how can you turn this like little opportunity to get stuff done around the house into an opportunity to like goof off and have fun together and, you know, making the bed takes 10 times less time if you do it together and just all these little things that just aren't, they, they can be more fun if you chose to make them more fun. The hardest one for me is talking about finances. I just have never got excited about talking about money, but, um, I have some friends who, when they talk about money, they go out to the cheesecake factory and they make it like a big kind of a date night event and their reward is they get to eat whatever they want on the menu and they order <laughs> cheesecake and they talk about the finances and they do it in a public space so they can't get upset with each other and it's like this really great I don't know this it's a ritual that they have that makes it a little bit more tolerable um, having a ritual or a, an agreement of never arguing inside your bedroom that's a good one like make your bedroom a sacred space where only good things happen, like being naked together and sleeping and getting ready for your day. And if you have to have an argument, step outside your bedroom or save it till later. Um, just little things like that, like just being intentional. I don't know. It's I, I could really could, t if you can't tell, talk about this stuff all day. Um, but hopefully that gives people some ideas of ways that they can kind of intentionally create their relationship instead of letting their relationship just kind of happen by accident. I really, I don't think extraordinary relationships happen by accident. I think people create them with on purpose. Like they make their relationships awesome on purpose. This is awesome. I want to make one comment about um, what you said before 
uh, well, maybe a couple, and then go to this idea of intention. When I first thought about um, like doing chores together, what I liked was that like we're both working on something and moving in the same direction. And you heightened it to like this whole other level. And I'm like, I definitely want to explore like that. Cause I was thinking like just, just the idea of knowing, especially if, if you're feeling disconnected that you're like, we're both working on something and, and we're making progress on it. But like, yeah, how, how do you fucking make it just fun and crazy and like bring laughter and joy and love into, into the space, into each other's lives. And like, that's, it's fucking awesome. And like, I'm sure there's moments like uh, that I've done that and there's definitely moments where I, I didn't do it, but I, I keep thinking about like, as you were saying that, how I can bring that with intention and that leads into the next thing, which is intention. Um, I know there are periods of my life where I was fucking gone and I didn't have clear intent, whether it was in my life or my relationships. And that's something that I've really begun to try to nurture and it's a different paradigm. So I, I'm curious if you can talk about I mean, I have thoughts on, but I really would like to hear your thoughts on what it means to be intentional with your relationships. That's a great question. I I think in being intentional is a learned skill. I don't think it's something that comes naturally to people. It's it's one of those so much of having a great relationship. We've talked, we've, I've said it like a dozen times, but it's it it doesn't come naturally to people. It's something you have to really work on, and you have to suck at it before you can be good at it. And I think being intentional comes from really knowing what your values are and then finding ways to incorporate those values into your everyday life. So like one of the values that we have in our, we have a couple, like we, we say yes to hard things. That's one of our family values. We, um, we say yes to adventure, uh, and we, um, we know how to have a good time. Like we, we find ways to make life enjoyable and fun. And when you have those values in place, it's a lot easier. And we could go on and talk about more, but um, it's a lot easier to like throw in some cultivate. Uh, like what are some of our other values that we have as a couple? Uh, we prioritize growth over comfort. That's something that we say all the time. Like growth is more important than comfort. So when something difficult comes up, like a new a new job opportunity or we're dealing with a, a difficult person, like a, a, a close relationship, somebody's being weird. And the easy thing to do is just to ignore it. And the hard thing to do is to lean into the discomfort and have a conversation. Or um, if the hard thing to do is to admit that you were wrong, or if the hard thing to do, the growth-inducing thing to do is to um, to to challenge yourself and put yourself out there and attempt something that you've never done before. Like I, I grew up or not grew up, but I went in, when I went is was in college. I, um, I really wanted to learn to dance. So I took like ballroom dancing classes and then I took, I joined the, the swing club and learned to swing dance and really just fell in love with swing dancing. And my wife has grown up doing, I think what most of us do where you kind of get to this point where you only do the things that you know you're going to be good at. Yes. And so then, you know, we get married and I'm like, I want to go dancing. And she's like, I don't want to go dancing. And I'm like, why not? And she's like, cause I suck at it. And I'm like, well, but I love it and I want to go and I want to dance with you. Like, that's the whole reason I learned to dance is cause I thought it would be fun to dance with my wife one day. And she like last year for Christmas, she bought a, a two, like a full weekend, like two or three days of dance lessons. And we went to this big camp and she took classes with me and 
that was like her leaning into the thing that was uncomfortable and and despite knowing that she was going to suck and that I was going to be really good she was able to put herself into that position in order to give to for the betterment of our relationship and we try and do things like that on a on a regular basis and that's like that's a combination of knowing your values and being intentional at the same time it's fucking scary for your partner to see you as deficient oh yeah man right so if she's like he loves me but i'm not good at this not only is she not feeling confident there's pro- might be a fear there about being seen as deficient and yeah that's like it takes a fuckload of bravery so give your li- wife a kiss later on <laughs> oh i will i'll give her an egg i'll pin her against the wall twice <laughs> but I, I, do you hear what i'm saying yeah yeah absolutely yeah when your when your partner has developed mastery around something and then you're invited into that world like one, it's incredible. It's in, it's super attractive to see your partner in a in a light. Like my wife's a nurse, and sometimes I'll go into the hospital and I'll see her like running around and working and taking care of patients. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this whole world that my wife is like incredible at, and I don't see her in that very often. And it's it's hot, it's super sexy. And at the same time, if I get Sometimes she comes home and she'll be talking about her day and rattling off all these like medications and procedures and, and illnesses. And I'm like, you're not speaking English. And I feel stupid. And it's, it's hard for me sometimes to ask her to slow down. And that's like a really small example. But yeah, it's, it's hard when your partner is a, is a master in a domain and you are not and you have to play with each other in that domain. It's, it's intimidating. Yeah, it's very scary scary that they're going to look down on you that they're not going to no longer going to respect you that they're no longer going <laughs> to yeah. accept and love you it's fucking terrifying i yeah this is one I'm, I'm i'm still figuring out and i on a sort of more selfish level uh, the last few years i picked up a bunch of skill sets i started taking piano lessons i started taking guitar uh, lessons i started um what else have I done? I learned to skateboard about a year and a half ago. That's awesome. At, I mean, I'm in my, I was in like in my mid thirties and I decided that I'm going to learn to skateboard. So I bought a skateboard and I'm watching fucking YouTube videos. <laughs> on how to skateboard. So great. The like, how do I kickflip? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going there. Like I was just like, how do I, uh, how do I stop? <laughs> how do I not fall on my butt? <laughs> I definitely did that several times, but, um, but it made me realize how hard it was to try something new that I wasn't good at because I, my ego had been tied to the things that I was proficient at. And it's like, there's so much growth and satisfaction in in learning something new and picking up something new. And, and, uh, it's allowed me this process of, I'm using a few examples, but like emotional transformation could be another one or learning to be vulnerable. Or now I'm thinking a lot about just, I don't know if I remember being a little funny kid, but I remember people writing my yearbook and everyone writing like, thanks for all the laughs because I was always so silly and crazy. And at some point I became a man <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I lost a lot of that sense of humor, I feel like, and went through some traumas. And I'm like, how do I nurture a life with like other people that like a value of, of humor and playfulness and silliness like comes up all the time throughout our daily life? And and uh, I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine this morning, and we were just talking about like this subject, like how he was talking about how he had tried to develop humor by watching lots of comedians, and how he tried to figure out like what was the formula to being funny. And and he's like, I don't think that really worked. And I said, you know, I think inspiration's a good thing, like having a vision of what to look for. But like, I'm not looking for a formula. What I'm looking for is like, what is the soil 
the pH balance of the soil you need and how much sunshine and like what do you, how much water in order to grow or nurture this thing? Like what what is it that you need to nurture a life full of spontaneity and laughter and love and joy and um, things that fuck like I had in my life one time and didn't have it others. And yeah, so I don't know. Does this bring up anything for you? Yeah, I, I mean, well, it's just nice hearing that other people think this way. Um, I, I love the idea of developing a sense of humor and tapping into your playfulness, you know, that not losing that childlike side of yourself. I've always found that when it comes to, I don't know, one, just, I think it's cool to develop yourself on a regular basis. And then two, I love sense of humor. I, I, I think the basis of a good sense of humor is just being willing to tell the truth. I think the truth is probably the funniest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is sometimes you know well, I mean? I, yeah i mean yeah i was gonna say I, I was gonna go deeper i'm like i feel like the foundation of uh of a good sense of humor is like feeling safe but like but it, it connects exactly what you're saying it's like when i feel safe i feel like i can tell the truth totally right and if you don't feel safe if you're feeling whether it's outside things like whether you're reacting to the past or, or whether I'm not going to say you, whether I'm reacting to the past or I'm reacting to expectations I think are put on me by some stupid bullshit. Like I'm not present and I don't feel, um, yeah, I don't feel safe with the, the person I'm with or the environment or whatever my circumstances. I'm overstimulated. I don't have space. Like when I don't feel safe, I can't tell the truth. And like, and so, like that for me, that's the soil. But I think you're right. Like even you just saying the truth made me laugh, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You hear a good joke and it, you laugh because you you know the truth in it. You're like, oh, yep, I see. Yep, yep. You're saying the thing that I've been thinking, or you're putting that in a way that I never thought of it before. But now that you say it that way, yep, that's true. Yeah, so. it, yeah. I fucking hear that. That's yeah. It's awesome. I know we're sort of getting towards the end of our time. Any Anything else that you really want to share with the audience about what what makes great relationships and allows people to nurture the love that we all aspire for, even, yeah. if, even if we don't know it yet? <laughs> I, I think if I were to leave, leave all of your wonderful listeners with one parting piece of advice, it would be, and, and the science shows this, and a lot of really experienced people have said this, but the the key to happiness is, is awesome relationships. You know, you can, if you really want a fulfilling and vibrant and, and full of life, life, like a life that, that's well lived, it comes from developing really deep, meaningful, trust filled relationships, passionate relationships. And there's nothing like, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important. I don't know one person who on their deathbed has said, man, I wish I would have spent more time in meetings. You know, it's, you wish you would have spent more time with the people that you loved. And I think that the, there's nothing that is going to have a bigger payoff in your overall quality of life than if you invest in being an awesome partner and creating awesome relationships. So don't take this lightly. Like really, this is something it's, I can't, I can't emphasize the importance enough of taking, taking your relationship seriously. You know, we invest in a lot of things. You invest in skateboarding classes and piano lessons and guitar lessons and dance lessons and 
I went axe throwing the other day. Like that was crazy and I was terrible at it, but like nothing is more important than your relationship. And if you treat it that way, it will pay off in dividends. So that's, I don't know. That's, I think the, my last piece of advice is take your relationship seriously. I have one more question. Yeah. Um, and it's around connection. What do, what do you think are the things that lead to deep connection? I think it's a combination of listening and sharing, uh, being willing to sit and try and get into your partner's mind when they're talking and into their heart and, and ha- have them realize and understand that you're, you are with them. Like you're not just in the room with them, but you're, you're trying to experience life through their eyes and then on the flip side, being willing to open up and share those things, like you said, being willing to be vulnerable and expose parts of yourself that are scary to your partner. And that automatically creates trust. I think that's part of it. And then I think um, to create connection, you need to have trust. And I think if I were to summarize what trust is, is it's a thousand promises made and kept over time. So if you want to have really meaningful connection. First, you have to work on trust. And in order to create trust, you have to be willing to make commitments and then follow through on them over and over and over again. And that will create a sense of safety inside of your relationship that allows people to, that allows you and your partner to be able to open up and share the things that you have been scared to share with anybody else. Nay, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, my pleasure. And if you're listening, you want to learn more about Nate, you want to learn about everything he's doing, uh, we're going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of the podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. And I don't normally do this, but Nate, you said you wanted to give something away. <laughs> Go there. Yeah, so I created the seven-day challenge. It's a love challenge, and it goes over a lot of the stuff in more detail that we talked about today. And the purpose of it is for people to focus like 10% on insights and 90% on action. And I'm happy to give more details to anybody who, who wants it. If you just go to first seven years.com slash gift, I'll have a little thing set up specifically for this podcast and you can just shoot me your, your email and I'll send you details if you want to take that challenge. And what's your email? My email is nate at first seven years.com. Cool, man. Thank you again. But I'll, yeah. I'll toss that information up on that page. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.